YouTube sensation, skincare lover, and all-around beauty guru, Leah Yu is the founder and CEO of Crave Beauty. A skincare brand breaking through the noise of the beauty industry, Crave Beauty is all about pressing reset, and I couldn't be more excited to learn more about Leah's journey today. Hi everyone, and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs support some of the biggest brands today, and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Mame, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Mame has been an incredible journey so far. They have decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition as I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's like to welcome our guest for today, Leah Yu. She is one of the leading beauty YouTubers around the world with nearly 2 million followers across her social media channels and known for sharing her skin tips and struggles. And Leah realized that her followers had become overwhelmed by industry noise I mean, who isn't, me including, and leaves questions around ingredients, routines, efficacy, and safety, and decided to hashtag press reset. Seeking expertise from dermatologists and drawing from her own experiences with treatments, Leah created Crave Beauty to streamline skincare and empower her audience to reevaluate what their skin truly needed. I love that this has gone against the grain, especially when considering the KBD trends that would advocate multi-step routines and intricate cleansing methods. And coming from a background working at Korea's biggest beauty company, Amore Pacific, Leah saw that where she could bridge the gap between brand and consumer and is out to inspire change in the industry as we know it. It's such a pleasure to have her join us on Founder Beauty. So Leah, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Oh my God, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I think that's the best introduction that I've gotten so far. Uh, It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here and also learn from you, Akash, as a fellow beauty founder. I'm so excited. And and thank you for sending the products. I have to say I'm obsessed. Like everything about what you stand for and your products you've created, but also your social media, the way you have transparency. It's something that I really use as a benchmark in my company. And I, oh, I always amazing. say like the Leah method. I'm like, look at what Crave is doing. Like, <laughs> and little things like, you know, like when we have issues with, which we're going to talk about later, I'm going straight to it. But like, you know, when we have issues with like a, a bad batch or this and that, and how do, what I love is you kind of like make it feel okay. Like it's okay. Okay, we all have it. Let's just like be transparent. Yeah. Let's find a solution and let's move on and learn from it as opposed to panic, hide it cry about it like I feel like you've made it a little bit more exciting to have these issues now I'm like you know what we can make this into a win I mean it was never exciting to have and never have that issue to be honest to have such big batch of production that was completely flopped but I think our team did a really good job in trying to convert a problem or a crisis into something that's impactful and also educational as well and informative to the audience because these are the things that our audience or not a lot of customers would know about if they are not in the behind the scenes. Exactly. So I thought it was a really good opportunity for us to also use this as an opportunity to inform the customers there's uh, more to sustainability or there's more to waste beyond just the packaging. So 
It was a very exciting campaign. And I think the response were very overwhelmingly positive. Oh, absolutely. So Leah, I asked all my guests this question and I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Leah? Who in a nutshell is Leah? Um, I'm a content creator on YouTube, skincare fanatic, um, yep. and a founder of a skincare brand. Not just any skincare brand, one of my favorites and one of the best. <laughs> I love it. Um, speaking of this campaign, let's talk a bit more about it. Can you tell the listeners about what happened and and what the campaign was called? Yeah, so last year in 2022, we did a campaign called Waste Me Not. And basically, it was a campaign about introducing the waste that we as a company, as a beauty company, created behind the scenes. So the very first production that went wrong was our Matahem Hydrating Cleanser. Because of COVID and because we were manufacturing everything from Korea and all the logistics crisis that was happening globally, we actually placed a very big order for us to kind of go through probably like a year worth of cleansers. But that production went wrong and the temperature turned out to be a lot more runny and it wasn't the cleanser that we can probably say it's the same product. So with that, um, the manufacturer either had to discard the entire batch and make it from scratch. But then in conscious mind, as someone who's like very uh, sustainability focused, like that didn't sit well with me and that didn't sit well with the team as well. So we came up with the idea of why don't we actually just turn this into a body wash? Because yes, the texture is not you know, exactly same as the facial cleanser that people love and adore, but it's still a cleanser. It can cleanse the body and people are more forgiving with their body wash. So we converted that and reworked the formula and added like other lathery ingredients to make it into a body wash. So we came up with an unintentional limited edition called Mata Hemp Body Wash that was made from our own waste. So that was introduced in our Waste Me Not campaign. And then the other one was basically our pilot production batch for our new product called Makeup Rewind. And our Makeup Rewind is a very unique jelly cleanser, like jelly oil cleanser. And it was fine when we were formulating that in the lab. But when we scale that up into a big kettle, um, the texture wouldn't firm up, like it wouldn't solidify into a jelly, it would still be very fluid oil. So we had to run multiple test productions in order for us to create and achieve that jelly firmness texture and with that there are multiple batches that we had to reject because it didn't you know come up to be as jelly as possible so that was another waste that we created internally that you know what like it's efficacious it is a great oil cleanser but it's just not the cleanser that we were wanting to make so with that we also you know communicated that to our customers saying hey, these are the pilot production batches that we all rejected. It's perfectly fine as a cleanser. It removes makeup beautifully. It's just a texture that is not that is a little bit different from our regular makeup rewind. So with that, we sold that at cost. And the, the response from the audience has been very overwhelmingly positive. And we did a whole pop-up. And this, this was our very first pop-up in five years, to be honest actually renting out a whole space in New York City. And it wasn't for a product launch, but it was for a product that we, it was for for the waste that we created. And I thought this was a really good moment for us to actually do a whole activation and educate the customers. And hopefully the New York City people would 
spread the message and awareness. And I think that's what happened last year. So that's something that uh, we were very proud of. And I think there was a big win for us as well. And it's, it's so inspiring. And I think, you know, every brand out there tends to have some form of production issue or nightmare um, that obviously you don't plan because there are, there are something that just goes astray and it's normal. And often it's sometimes the lab's fault or this, you know, but at that point of time, it's not a really about a blame game. It's about solution game. And often what ends up happening is it goes into waste. Uh, I mean, when I worked in Dior and these big companies, it's even more of an issue where they've really prioritized brand image and equity. So if something is slightly defect, but still is a perfect packaging, it's thrown away. And at that point, it's even worse because it's not even gifted to employees because they're worried about that product being circulated in the market, right? So it's thrown or it's like in fire, it's like, you know, um, whatever, combustible. So for me, it's like um, such a shame because that's just more wastage. It goes against everything the brand normally will stand for from a sustainability and ethical perspective. And where instead it's like just offer a discount, you know, use it's perfectly good products. And actually in some weird ways, it could be like an, an art, a testing ground where people might even prefer it or, you know, I'm sure was the body wash a huge success? Like, cause do you sold out of it in the end? Yeah, we sold out in probably a month or two and it was a huge success. I think it was interesting to see how the audience and the community was so excited to actually tell the story about the blocked, like botched production. And I think that just naturally spread awareness and that made, um, I think that it really encouraged the people to look at waste differently. And I think that hopefully inspired and empowered other indie beauty brands or bigger beauty brands to also do the same, like not be ashamed of the waste that they created because the customers are willing to support you if you are transparent about it. I think that's the the key of this all is making sure you truly have built a loyal, not about the number, right, but a loyal consumer base on your DTC that you feel you can trust and they trust in you because usually it makes sense right it's like you've got this batch if you feel you're you're very close to your own loyal audience that you have a direct relationship with it should be a first thought of you know what it's the, the packaging's a little bit wrong or this and that but it's still good they'll love it let's still sell it let's not waste it but if you really build a retail heavy de- you know dependent brand yeah I, I understand it gets difficult but I think as you said any size of brand now everyone's got a DTC these kind of um, systems of like salvaging and repurposing uh, botched up um, productions should be an industry norm. And I think that's something that I, I really think you've pioneered and I'm hoping now to see many more examples. And it's something that uh, when we have a significant issue, I think we're going to do the same and I'll give kudos to you. I'll be like, this is a Crave Beauty initiative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. No, it's definitely not a unique problem to one business. It's a common yeah. problem to all businesses exactly. when Everyone, they do yeah. have a production. Totally. Yeah. No, it's so true. So let's now actually go back to the beginning of it. So I want to know a little bit about the early days of beauty that you can remember as a child. So I know, where, where were you born and raised? Because I read online, it's a mixture between Seoul and New York. I just didn't know what the order was. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Korea and yeah, in Seoul. So I moved to New York only five years ago. So in 2018, ah. I made the jump and moved countries. And I think it was one of the best decisions I made in my life, in my adulthood, at least. And the earliest memory with beauty, 
I would have to say, you know, stealing my mom's lipstick when I was a kid and just trying to pretend that I'm like an adult and yeah, trying to, I remember she had like this really big powder um, that was so iconic in the 1990s. I feel like that's like orange powder that was in every mom's cabinet or every mom's vanity. And I love the fact that it came with a big ass puff. That's like so cute. So I would like just powder myself everywhere and pretend that I'm like an adult. Amazing. Did you do a lot of trips to Myeong? Is it Myeongjong? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Myeongjong. I, 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 although I went recently, I've been to Seoul a few times when I used to work at Dior. Yeah. Uh, but I went recently all around South Korea, like a whole trip um, around every, most cities. I felt like COVID definitely changed the, the kind of the, that street. Totally. Um, because a lot of businesses, unfortunately, had to close down. But yeah. I know many years ago when I went, it was, I mean, it was in, incredible. Like the, the amount of innovation and beauty. And so I must be growing up. You must have had so many amazing experiences there on that street. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think beauty is so close to just Korean households. Like you grew up with sheet masks, you grew up with sunscreens, and it's something not so foreign that you start like in your 20s, you just grow up with it. So definitely it's in my DNA, I feel like. Oh. And so then you moved, as you know, first you worked at Amora Pacific in Seoul, was one of your first big roles that's correct yeah how was that so that was my first job out of college so I definitely learned a lot and I think being in a big corporate you're definitely just a little cog in a big machine so you don't get to see everything and you don't get to learn any entrepreneurial skills or whatnot but I got to learn a decent amount of how the beauty industry works or how the products are developed and all that so yeah I I love the fact that I had that corporate experience because you you get trained to also be a team member or manage people. And if you're a YouTuber or if you're just a founder out of college, you don't have that experience on hand. So you'll have to make more mistakes uh, while just sailing the boat. Yeah. Did you, um, for anyone listening, so there's a more Pacific is a brand itself, but also the group is like brands like Laneige, Suluasu, uh, Innisfree. Did you work for the group level or for the product level, the brand? Yeah, so I was at the HQ. So we managed like over 30 brands and we had 4,000 employees at the time. And that was like 2013. So I was there from 2013 to 2015. Uh, so yeah, I definitely interacted and interacted with a lot of brands inside the company. Amazing. So cool. And then YouTube started, which is so exciting. Was there an aha moment where that, like, did you go viral at one point? When did you start seeing your audience really start taking off? So my YouTube journey was a pretty slow and gradual growth. Like there Mm. wasn't one moment or like one viral video that made me like a million subscriber. So after quitting my job, after quitting my corporate job, I did YouTube full time for two years before I Mm. started Create Beauty. And the first year was really challenging because I didn't really have any income. And that was a little bit before where influencer marketing was a mainstream marketing tool. So I didn't really have any revenue for a full year. So I was relying on the savings that I had for from my previous job. And even though I was trying to create content, like upload three, two, three, two, three videos a week, I wasn't really growing. But everything changed when I started thinking about 
what value can I provide to the audience who's giving me their precious time of 10 minutes? Yeah. Because on social media, time is currency. And if you, if someone is paying you time or if someone is exchanging their currency to watch your videos, yes. you either have to entertain them or educate them. Yeah, give value. Yeah, what type of value can I provide? And I think from that moment, my content direction has changed and evolved a lot to think more from the audience perspective. And that's that's when I also been really deep into researching about how our skin biologically and physio physiologically works. Mm. Because I was also an acne sufferer in my mid-20s. I had pretty moderate acne. I tried all the things on over-the-counter and went to dermatologists and got antibiotics prescribed. And I was on these all harsh acne medications for so long without really seeing the results. Yeah, And that's when I started studying about, hmm, how does our skin naturally work? And after learning about the biology side of the skin, like you learn that your skin or your body and human biology is so smart. Like it's, it's, it can self-regulate, self-repair and self-rejuvenate itself, everything. And I feel like a lot of the times when you do have acne or when you have a skin problem, you immediately want to rely on a product or you immediately want to rely on this medication. Yeah. After learning about how amazing our, our skin is, that's when I pressed reset on, you know what, instead of doing like this like 14 step skincare routine, I want to simplify it into cleanser, moisturizer, and then just SPF mm -hmm. and see where that takes us. Because at that point, you have nothing to lose because you've spent so much money on these laser treatments and acne medications and interesting enough, like that actually cleared my skin quite a bit significantly. And that moment I started documenting that on YouTube and also sharing what I learned throughout my entire acne journey. And that was where I really attracted a core group of audience who have been there, done that, like have done like antibiotics, laser treatments, mm. BHA, benzoyl peroxide, and all these acne treatments, but didn't really see any results. And they also joined doing like uh, the skincare diet challenge, which was very, very popular back in the days. Uh, they stripped down to the bare basics of cleanser, moisturizer, SPF, and they've also seen so much, so much improvement in their skin. Yeah. And that's when my channel attracted the audience that is now uh more of a skincare core group i would say yeah like people who have struggled with their acne oh that's amazing and it's great to know that you really have built this family right and it can be quite hard sometimes to do it on multi-channels because you've also got a great audience and not just youtube but now with tiktok and instagram and i think that's an important thing is understanding by channel of course there's a lot of overlap but how do you cater to the individual audiences that the channel is best suited for as well um, so yeah, it's a really good advice. I, I needed to hear that as well, because sometimes there's that kind of opportunity cost or internal battle between, oh, but I don't find this useful. But then you have to think about, but actually maybe your audience really will, right? You, you've maybe read about a hundred times, but then it's still worth a piece of content and, and sometimes simplifying it. And, and for those who perhaps don't have a big audience, but are looking to grow and create one or have an an audience from the past but you know what happens is sometimes your engagement drops and then you're kind of like people feel they're shadow bound but they're not and and you want to regrow a new audience but if you don't have that data or that surveying or that kind of opportunity to get that inbound request 
what's in a good advice yeah in creation the right type of content today oh that's a really that's a million dollar question right I like know, everyone I know. wants to become a content creator and it is it very oversaturated like, I guess maybe like how do you get the data best you know is it like uh one thing i was thinking like do you like look at the kind of benchmarks that you wanna and then look at the comments to see what people are asking for like you know yeah i mean data definitely helps at the later stage once you do have an established amount of audience where you yeah. can get some data but if someone is starting from scratch i would have to say uh, start from what is very genuine to you and authentic to you. And I think once you share the problem that can connect to other people, like for me, that was me going through my acne skincare journey. And there are millions of people out there who has the same issue and who has the same skin problem. Mm-hmm. And if you can come from a place that is, uh, that you are in this together with the audience, I think that's mm-hmm. like the perfect match of attracting the like like minded audience that yeah. is similar to you who wants to learn and improve their skin together. Yeah. Yeah. I would start from there. It's a really good point. No, I love that. Thank you. It's a, a lot of people exactly as you said, it's a million dollar question that the answer isn't doesn't exist and it's always changing. Right. Like social media is such a roller coaster of change. But at the same time I think it's about once you start getting hundred and then 200 and a thousand these are still no matter the number that's still important to think about it as the content for that individual as opposed to for the millions or the or the the, the group because yeah then you'll attract a tribe over time um as you said and i love the fact that you grew it slowly and and steadily right yeah uh, it, it takes a lot of um commitment but also nurturing which i think is great um but then I, I'm assuming this is a situation, but I don't know. Like, was there like a moment where you were like, your audience was, you know, you did a lot of research, you knew what your audience needed and you were like, oh my God, I need to create this brand that kind of, I feel is missing. Mm. Or like, when did Crave, the seed of the idea start? I love that question. <laughs> the seed was planted, I think, throughout my acne journey, to be honest. And Nowhere in my life did I set out to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I actually didn't know the term entrepreneur because growing up in Korea and having a corporate job, I was never trained or educated about entrepreneurship. So I think after seeing a very clear problem in the industry, for my case, it was I was the victim of the beauty industry's marketing of more is more. And you have this very regimented skincare routine that includes like all sorts of different products. But if you are you are behind the scenes and you're a part of the beauty industry, you know that toner, essence, serum is also basically the same thing. And I think a lot of the beauty brands are, a lot of them are built to sell and they try to create products that are not necessarily solving a problem, but more adding a problem. And I wanted to create a brand that is non-manipulative to the customers because I felt manipulated by a lot of the beauty brands out there. It's so true. And I knew this because a lot of this, the audience that I have felt the same way where when they want to try, when they want to start a skincare journey, they feel completely paralyzed because there's so many different products out there but I don't think there are a simplified effective routine at the time and I think that balance for me like when I see Crave Beauty I'm like it balances fun it's 
really cross-generational, if that mm. makes sense. It's not like, I don't feel it fits into one box. As a millennial, I'm like, I see myself, but I also could see myself, my, my parents using it because it's not, you know, too um, Gen Z, if that makes sense. But obviously that has a big element that attracts to the younger audience as well because of the price point and the simplicity of it. So I think you've learned this like really perfect. Is that also because intentionally, like, do you know yourself um like your audience is it quite like diverse in age and ethnicities and backgrounds yeah so when it comes to my audience it is i wouldn't say it's that diverse in terms of the age demographic so it's predominantly 25 to 34 and then the second group would be the 18 to 24 and ethnicity wise, well, I didn't have an exact survey, but I'm assuming most of them are Asian just because I am Asian and there are a lot of Caucasian and also Latinx and a lot of brown and black people as well. So I think for me, what is important to like unite people is not necessarily the demographic, but it's like the problem that they commonly share. Exactly. Oh, right? that's beautiful said. And I yeah. think that's why you were saying like, it seems very cross-generational because people can have acne in all ages and people can have a broken and compromised skin barrier in all ages. And I think that's why the product itself, we try to not box ourselves into a Gen Z brand or a Korean skincare brand or a clean beauty brand per se, because we want to create products that are evergreen and more timeless that can grow with the, like grow with the audience for years and decades to come hopefully and i think that's the best way to do it and, and one thing i love about um what you've done is it's mindful mpd so you're not like mm. creating a lot of products your whole philosophy is less is more with especially with press reset hashtag i, I like, think that's really important it's got kind of like from me growing up with ayurveda it's what my grandma kind of was always telling us is like you don't need too much um it's actually like selling like less selling is the new selling, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's sort of like what people really connect to. Um, I think also helps like um, both, your, is your business 100% self-funded to the state? That, yeah, that is correct. And uh, ours as well. I think yeah. there is a little bit like of a benefit. There's, I mean, there's a lot of benefits and negatives, you know, there's no right and wrong. But generally speaking, one of the benefits is we can sort of go at a pace that we feel is not, you know, don't have this board or investors that are like, hello, move, sales, <laughs> let's go. Uh, it's sort of like, okay, you know, I see where it goes. We're enjoying the journey and creating the products people need. Um, is that sort of something that you're, you're definitely, you see? Yeah, 1000%. 1000%. It's a, it's a big privilege. I mean, it's definitely not a given situation for everyone. Like a lot of people need their funding cap, like seeding capital to start their business. But yeah, I mean, we also only launched with two products in the beginning. So we just needed, like I just poured in my savings to the business and wanted to make sure it stays investor free as long as possible, because once there are VCs and other shareholders come into your cap table, you know, for a fact that it can influence the trajectory of the brand, either from a growth perspective or a product development perspective as well, and also like distribution as well. So I don't think I'm used to reporting to someone and I wanted to keep it this way as long as possible. I feel like the only people we report into right now are our customers. <laughs> it's sort of like, especially the ones like, it's like the nice customers or the ones that give the five-star reviews. They're like our 
like we're happy to report and the ones yeah. I'm like nervous of are the ones just like okay I see you I hear you I need to walk work with you I understand I need to make some changes but it's sort of like it's it's the it's the beauty of it and as you said it's it's a privilege for sure um but I do think there is so many ways to still start self-funded if you know I think yes if you want to go into retail I understand they expect and they would require like a larger product portfolio and a whole routine but you know who's to say you can't launch D2C um you know even just like not even I mean, there's even new ways forget even website you can even just launch on like TikTok shop or something right and just have one product and then you build a brand slowly and surely by there so yeah um but it is true that's the one thing I feel which is really hard today is retail does require a higher cash flow at the beginning just because there's a lot of investment that I think there's not a lot of transparency in the industry from that or, or I guess not transparency I guess like know-how because you know only when you go into retail do you realize the sampling and all these hidden costs that I was like oh my god I had no idea um, and we launched day one in Sephora so you can imagine like in 500 stores so for me it was a very different type of starting. It's so impressive that you guys are self-funded when you were in retailers from the beginning it's uh, it's you know shareholder loans and i'm very fortunate very privileged with my father who's in the beauty industry for 40 years you know he's um he, he believed in the brand and is willing That's to so cool. like, support um, yeah but we've had to build the system a bit more lean where a lot of the profits and revenue go back in uh, and we grow at a growth rate that is potentially we could grow faster yeah but i'm still as you said i'm still willing to keep it on as much as possible self-funded and, and educate our retail partners like look i know you want us to grow more we could do a thousand percent growth but we're not a brand that's going to exit yeah most of the brands are going to exit that's why they're doing that growth you know that's why they're raising quickly um i'm not i mean i'm you know i'm young I, this is something i want us to do as long as i can and see where it goes so yeah no i love that i'm i think i'm in the same boat as you and, and in terms of your incredible mighty um but i would say mighty but tight lineup of products right you have a very core <laughs> essential lineup that's not overwhelming but really clear yeah um and i'm obsessed 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 with the beat the sun spf so oh, i want you to you. start with that because i think it's just i've never seen something this innovative from a sunscreen perspective like be true it's amazing so can you tell us about your products yeah so it was really clear like what i wanted to do when i started the brand was make sure that people only need the core series, which is cleanser, moisturizer, and SPF. Mm. Everything else is supplementary, right? You supplement it when you need exfoliation. You supplement retinol when you need your skin to, like when you need to push your skin turnover. So I really wanted to kind of reject the notion that you need to use all of these expensive serums and active ingredients every single day. And that's what it get, that's where it gets really overwhelming from a consumer perspective. But just yep. going back to the old Clinique 123 method, but except with a sunscreen and without the toner, I wanted mm. to make sure that we have a solid everyday essentials that are very, very, very basic in terms yeah. of there's no like active ingredients that would clash with any of the products that they are using in their routine. And it can blend into anyone's skincare routine. So that's why we had um, all core series with an approach of make it as gentle and as basic as possible, but yeah. make it into a texture and a sensorial experience that is superior so that, especially when it comes to a sunscreen, you need to apply and reapply. And a lot of times people get discouraged to wear sunscreen because of the texture and the chalkiness and the white cast. So 
the texture and the sensorial experience was our top priority when formulating Beat the Sun. So I'm proud that it came out to be the the perfect texture that I I heard that a lot of customers enjoy wearing and enjoy yeah. wearing like two finger length or even three finger length. So that is that's amazing to hear. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's incredible. And in terms of like um, your sort of NPD process and et cetera, for those starting potentially a brand, what advice would you give in terms of how to find the right lab because there's many and how to find the right partners? That's always difficult because when you go to trade shows, they all try to sell <laughs> and try to say that they're the best lab in the entire nation or in the world. So how do you cut through the marketing of your B2B suppliers? I think that's another hurdle that a lot of customers don't know. But I think for me, it was important for uh, me to directly connect with the formulator and chemist of those labs to see how integral they are, because there are a lot of manufacturers and labs that are just pumping out different lab samples and making brands to white label it. And not not I'm not saying that that is like the incorrect approach, but I definitely wanted to make sure that we're developing a very meaningful and impactful formula for the audience that has a clear problem and the formula will solve their uh, skin issues or skin problem. With that in mind, I needed to also educate myself a lot. So I spent enough time with a lot of the chemists so that I know their language and I know what to request. I know how to challenge them even. So I was lucky enough to work with people who had like decades of experience in formulation, but they find me very refreshing because I'm asking all these like difficult questions. I'm coming with this like science journal that I found like, hey, does this ingredient have like any side effects when it's used like in five percentage? And because they see like how devoted that our company is when it comes to formulation, they were used to just providing like form uh, la- li- library samples to brands. And I think once they see that, okay, like this brand is very passionate and they want to do things very seriously and they get excited to jump on board. So we had multiple chemists who were very tired and exhausted of this like kind of fat, fast-paced beauty. And I think they were excited to also support our approach of very making everything intentionally and responsibly and hopefully sustainably from scratch. So I love that. if someone were to start from scratch, I would say the best way is to be devoted in the product development process so that you can also excite your partners and suppliers. That's such a good advice. Uh, and and uh, you know, if you are a type of founder that potentially isn't skilled in product development like myself, I found, you know, I have a co-founder, right? And my sister is the, is the genius behind all the products. And I'll, I'll do the, the I, I, I'm not even going to say boring. Traditionally, people think boring finance business stuff. But to be fair, I'm actually, I love it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to downplay it. Like, I, you know, the exciting uh, business part. But, um, but you know, and, and it's a journey that you have to figure out what kind of setup you want and not know it's always forever, right? You can, you can have a co-founder, then not have a co-founder and this, they can change. It's part of the journey, the process. For me, it's a bit more trickier because it's my sister. So I've got to make sure I, <laughs> I, 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 I keep that. a good relationship. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing we did, which was really helpful at the beginning, is you know, we sat down and we had a proper shareholder agreement meeting and a very uncomfortable chat with a lawyer. That you know, We even cried at it because you know, you're talking about all these permutations that seems so far out and also really unfair to talk about, but it's a reality. It's a possibility. 
And now we don't have many fights because we always have that safety blanket of, you know what, we already know the system. It's 50-50. We have equal information rights, this and that. It's very clear. That's really cool. Um, I actually had a co-founder that I broke up with in year two. And the mistake that I made was probably not doing that and having hard and difficult conversations from the beginning. Because like I started and had a co-founder and he was also my friend at the time. So it was very uncomfortable to have conversations about like, this is what you do and setting boundaries. This is not okay. This is okay. And yeah, I think it's amazing that you were able to have that conversation with your sister, which I'm sure it was very awkward in the beginning as like business partners, but also siblings. Exactly. Uh, and now future of Crave Beauty. Do you have like, what's in the pipeline? What's your roadmap? Are, are you currently also distributed in retail? We are not. We're completely D2C. I think so far it's been challenging because we had a lot of retailers in the country that reached out to us to curate our products. But again, like going back to the product development and having full control there, I know that if you're not, if you're always saying no to like all the trends and animations that these beauty retailers do, you get deprioritized or like you're not going to get enough shelf space. So I think for us is to grow as big enough so, so that we can own the product development pipeline in full control so that's that's hard for us right now but i think we've been able to craft a very great d2c business and nothing's broken right now and it's only growing so i don't think we'll be we'll need to change that anytime soon for the future we're actually excited to jump into the supplement category and that's something that i really wanted to start with because when i was you know, going back to my acne skincare journey, I also realized that acne is more like, I'm sure that you having your Ayurvedic um, kind of upbringing and your culture as well, like everything, Eastern medicine is very holistic. It's not more, it's not like masking the symptom with antibiotics or like this benzoyl peroxide. It's more about what you eat, how you sleep, like your stress level, your lifestyle and all that. So I knew that the holistic approach is something that I wanted to bring into the business from day one, but we didn't have the resources and time to do that. But I think now um, that the year, the brand is five year old and we have some resource to invest into the research and development of a new product category. That's what I'm excited for. And hopefully that resonates well, because that is something that really helped my acne skincare journey. So that's, that's that's what's next for us. So exciting. Oh, I'm, this is honestly like, it's so refreshing to see a, um, a brand like yours. And I think it's just a brand that uh, not only will connect and grow, but I think will be a unicorn in its space um, oh my God. As, as, you, as you grow it more into it. So yeah, really, really excited to see what's going to come. I really, I really am. Yeah. There's so much um, interesting things in the supplement industry that we're discovering every day that... Mm. There, I think there's a lot to press reset on that industry. So I'm excited 100%. to percent. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to jump into that. Don't don't, don't slow down with the industries that you want to start dominating because I think there's a lot of them that can help with the press reset mode. 
in the wellness space, you know, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think additionally, we have our own venture studio fund as well, like venture capital yeah, fund. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah. So I'm excited to also, you know, help other brands, companies to be able to spread their wings and uh, without the pressure of mm. unsustainable growth, because the hamster wheel growth is something that we have witnessed in the traditional VC space for far too long. And we've seen so many businesses that are just built to sell. And yeah. I wanted to support other founders who are like us, where they can grow at their own pace and they're building to last. And they are here to solve real problems, not to add problems. Yeah. So we're excited to look for brands and companies that we can also be a part of their journey to to fund and them and give them like the starting capital. So for everyone, so this is Press Reset Ventures. This is, um, when I read the article before, it was like a million dollar fund. Um, but you, you let me know more about what the plans and how can people pitch and get involved to potentially get funding? How does it work? Yeah, totally. I mean, we have our website at Prep pressresetvc.com so we have our Perfect. contact information where people can send their business plan or ideas and opportunities so we are a million dollar fund and it's actually carved out from our create beauty profit so we wanted to make sure that we can also gift the privilege that we had of having a having no investors or no shareholders that are nagging us to grow yeah and i think in order for us to slow down the beauty industry we can't only do it ourselves. We ne we need to do it with other brands and other companies and supply chain that are on the same page. So we're trying to look for companies that are here to truly meaningfully impact the industry in a more sustainable and ethical way. And with that said, um, so far we invested in two, three consumer brands and two B2B companies. And we're looking into more B2B companies to invest. So one was a climate, one was called Bluebird, which is a climate, have you heard of it? I have. I actually met the the founders in um, the recent summit, uh, tech, yeah. Beauty Tech. Jamie and, I and love Aisha, it. they're amazing. Exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. amazing founders. Uh, so they're solving problems for businesses to make more sustainable decisions quickly in packaging product development process by having a really well-built-out dashboard. Another supplier or B2B company that we invested is called Inner Bottle. And I'm not sure if you've seen our Grape Berry Relief packaging. There's like a little silicone insert balloon that shrinks as you use it. And, we're, and that is basically a zero-waste concept where you don't have any product residue that gets left in the packaging. So you don't need to use water to rinse it out before recycling and we're trying to imagine a more circular uh, packaging model with inner bottle for the future so that other beauty brands or any other consumer brands can also take advantage of that technology so we wanted to help them commercialize innovation from their lab and we're looking for more cases like that or more companies like that oh, that's so cool I, I love the fact that it's not just product but it's also b2b because as you said, they're just as important in the whole ecosystem of also product. Um, so um, so I'll, I'll also put the link uh, as well as your website and everything uh, in the summary so people can click straight away to discover more. And you have a really good uh, uh, page where you can see your kind of portfolio ready and stuff. So everyone should check it out, I encourage. Um, 
And in terms of, we'll start heading to fire round questions because I know you have a business to run. I don't want to keep you on for too long, but um, I have a desert island situation for you. So imagine I'm inviting you to a desert island, but unfortunately, TSA is being so strict and they're saying, Leah, you can only bring one product. So you know what's coming. Um, um, I mean, so what is your one product you'll be bringing with you from Crave Beauty? I think it would be Beat the Sun sunscreen. Yeah. I need sunscreen I in a desert say, for sure. No <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why is it? Why just you know sell it a bit? Why, why is um? Why would you want? Uh, why do you encourage everyone to get Beat the Sun as opposed to? There's a lot of SPF out there. What's one of the unique parts about this? Uh, that's a tough question because I think there's so much personal there's... preference for sunscreens. But Vita Sun is definitely for anyone who hates to apply sunscreen. So actually, yeah. a lot of good and positive responses came from like guys who are just starting to use sunscreen and they hate the sunscreen feeling. So yeah. um, it's a product where it doesn't feel like a sunscreen. So I think people who have neglected to protect their skin are starting to protect their skin with Beat the Sun. This one, amazing. And I love the fact that you know, people with more melanated skin like myself, you don't have that white residue, which I think is so important. And there are a lot of SPFs now con- you know, really tackling this concern that we've had yeah. for years. But it's just great to see that all this new MPD of SPF is like really catered for all skin tones. Uh, which is great. Totally. Um, so now we're going to go fire around. So first thing that comes to your mind, the first question is, what's another beauty brand that you're currently loving right now? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. I have like 50 beauty brands in my, I in my cabinet. Um, but I got to say Experiment Beauty, uh, super saturated serum. It's a very unique Listerine rich serum that has never been done in the beauty industry at such high percentage. So that's a brand that uh, Press Race Adventure invested initially and have been really interesting to support that brand as well. So I think, is it like the one with like a, I, I think I Googled it before. It was like, it's really like blue. It's like a little pill yeah. bottle kind of blue. Really yeah. beautiful. Ah, that's amazing. I loved it. It's got like prickly pear. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Very cool. Um, good choice there. And again, good that you invested as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, um, great partnership. Um, my second question is, do you have a favorite quote or a saying that you um, keep close to your heart? I do not, but I, I really love Just Do It by Nike. I know. You know, the amount of entrepreneurs and founders that have yeah. said, just do it. And I'm like, if it's it so works, easy. why change it, right? Like, doesn't matter. Just it's, I'm like, Nike, 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 whatever it is. I, I find like it's the, they, they smashed it with that. It's such a universal you know, motto. What is yours? I'm so curious now. Mine, to be fair, it's such a, no one's asked me. I think for me, I just, there's so many and that's why I'm I'm glad like no one asks me because I'm like, which one do I choose? But the one that always sticks with me is what my mom always used to tell me is always give, but never expect anything. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I think that just helped me. It protects yourself from not being hurt or let down. And I think it, it really, the today modern, anyone in today's society, I think, there's always that kind of feeling of, oh, what's it in the return or what is yeah, the hook or it's just a sale. It's just a, so whether it's business, personal life, anything, I feel if you intentionally just want to give from, and, and you become the beneficiary, right? Like from the joy you're giving in others. Yeah. That is like my way of life. So I never do anything and expect anything back in return. That's yeah. like Dalai Lama. I love yeah, that. Exactly. You know, and, and Dalai Lama is one of my yeah huge inspirations. So probably why. Yeah, I can tell. That. Yeah. Um, and my last question, Leah, is: If you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, or you know, beauty 
guru and content creator, what would you be doing right now? Architect or interior designer. That was actually what I studied in undergrad. No way. But I opened my eyes into beauty. That's why I pivoted. But I still love design, interior design, and architecture. So So I think I I saw spatial design and I was like, yeah, it's that. It's, yeah, it's a major that is translated incorrectly, but it's basically architectural design and interior design. Amazing. Yeah, I was going to talk about it. I was like, I might sound really silly if I liken it to some things. I was like, let me just like, but now you mentioned, I was like, okay, I can talk about spatial design. I've never heard (laughs) that term, but I love that. It actually makes total sense. It's like, you have a space. It could be in any form. It could be in a building. It could be in the outside. landscape or... Actually, a smarter way to describe it. I feel like when you say architecture, people just think of buildings. When you say interior, they just think of internal so it's actually spatial design should be more westernized um, i think as a word <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, yeah amazing well leah it's been such a pleasure um Likewise. i can't wait to finally hopefully meet in person soon when we come to new york or if you're in london but uh, in the meantime where can everyone continue to follow yourself and the brand yes i'm at leah you from youtube instagram tiktok and then our brand is called create beauty so you can find everything at createbeauty.com with a k amazing well i'll put all the links people can just tap straight away including the ventures and um, thank you again for sharing all your wisdom thank you so much Akash I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it and if you did please share it with a friend who you think will love it too Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts Spotify Amazon Music Podcasts the Acast app and many more and I'm also very proud to be part of the ACAST Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Found the Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. <laughs>